Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Gallagher here. An exciting, exhilarating game one victory for the New York Knicks over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Listen, we talked about this a bunch of times. The Cavaliers are the favorites in this series, but the Knicks have a chance to beat them. And everybody knows it, but don't let them flip the script. The Cavs have to win this series. People saying, well, the Knicks lose the series. I'm that they should have traded for Donovan Mitchell. But shut up. Shut up. If the Cavs lose this series after trading everything, all their future assets for Donovan Mitchell, it is a catastrophic loss for them. Now, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. I'm not predicting the series to be over because they won game one. Too many of you are doing that. This game one victory is a foundation. It gives the Knicks an advantage in the series, obviously. Every win you have in a series is a good win. Unless the series is over and you're down 3-0. But every win in a series is a good win. A game one victory on the road gives you an incredible advantage as the road team. An advantage that dips a bit if you lose game two. It doesn't mean... It's a terrible loss. You have to expect the Cavs to win game two. But know that most teams that are in a competitive series split the first two games. That's what most, in in an even series, a relatively even series like this, a four or five series, to split the first two games is not uncommon. It's not necessarily impressive. It is necessary if you want to win the series, as a road team, you have to win. You have to win a game on the road. All right? But 1-1 one, one after two games, it's not earth-shattering. Not earth-shattering. A lot of times, the road team will lose game one and, and win game two. If the Knicks lose game two, what's the difference between the two things? Most people are not necessarily impressed if you lose, if you win game two as a road team after losing after losing game one. It's not necessarily impressive. You did what you came to do. But you want to impress. You want to give yourself a shot to win this series, a good solid shot. You win game two. You win game two. You cannot, you cannot, you settle for splitting the first two games when you win game one. You settle. Oh, well, at least we won game one. You build on this win. A week off, a week in change off for both of these teams. They knew who they were playing. They've been preparing for over a week, unlike some of the other playoff teams. They didn't know who they were playing until this weekend. They've been preparing all week, okay? And they played the Knicks four times this year and lost three times. They know this team. They know them well. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. There are no surprises. And the Knicks went in there in game one and won the game. That is an impressive win. But if you lose game two, it's a little less impactful. I'm not saying it's not any less impressive, but it's a little less impactful on the series. They, they, they don't have to win this game, but they have to approach this game like this is the series can be won in this game. It doesn't mean it will be, but it can be won in this game. Statistically, if you win the first two games as a road team in the series, you are likely to win that series. 
all year, not all year long, but for a good portion of the season, the Knicks have gone in, gone on the road and won tough games. Games that people did not expect them to win. Games that the Knicks needed to win. They have won a lot of those games this year. I think it helps to have a guy like Brunson who won a championship in college, an even-keeled player who doesn't necessarily get too high or too low in these big games. And, of course, the addition of Josh Hart helps that as well. I think that's vital in a situation like this because they're going to come out. I think Jalen Brunson is going to come out as a leader of this team, and he's going to come out to win this game. He's not going to come out, oh, you know, sometimes you see that in teams. Oh, we we got the game. We we need it. We, We fine. No, no, no. Come win this game. Because now I feel like the Cavs don't have answers. And I'm not, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Please don't, don't think I'm getting ahead of myself. But to come into this game and the Knicks were winning for the majority of the game. They went in for the majority of the game. They put on a late rush late in the game, which you expect because Donovan is a late game guy. He is big down the stretch. You know he's going to come down the stretch and he's going to be awesome. He was, he was great throughout the game, obviously. I heard Jalen Rose say something that he had 30 points on 30 shots. Listen, he, he was 14 of 30, and he didn't have 30 points. He had 38 points. He had closer to 40 points, right? You're not putting this on Donovan Mitchell. Other people got to step up for the Cavs, obviously, but Donovan Mitchell did everything that he could do. Did everything he could do. Give him credit. Big plays down the stretch almost won the game. The Knicks answered. They responded. And I just feel like the Knicks have that answer. They have those responses. They've, they've shown it throughout the year. As, as you're watching this game, you're expecting the Knicks to falter down the stretch way more than they have. And I had a little stretch earlier in the season. In the, in the 2022 calendar year, you saw them falter down the stretch quite often. But a lot of games in the second half of the year the Knicks were solid in these close games. And they were solid in games where they had to win on the road, where you expect, oh, they're probably going to get blown out tonight. Or, they, like, it, it, you kind of had this same old Knicks notion going into the game, and they won the game. They won it. So I have faith that they're going to come out with the right attitude in this game. And I have, and, and, and listen, Again, I'm not cocky here, but if I'm a Cavalier fan, I'm looking at the Cavs and what are they going to do in game two that they didn't do in game one in terms of expectations and and execution? The Knicks did not come with any surprises. They did what they always do. Now, there's a wrinkle here and there, but at the end of the day, Knicks just made shots. They made the plays they always made. All right. Not all of them. not, Not the whole team, even. They didn't do anything. They didn't break the mold for what made them successful. They did what you knew they were going to do, and they were winning the majority of the game. If it wasn't for Donovan's heroics, and I know that's a mouthful, the game would have been over at the four-minute mark. Knicks had a 10-point lead around that time. I just don't know what you're expecting from the Cavs is for players to play outside of their norm. Now, yes, Evan Mobley didn't have a great game. 
but you're and Garland didn't necessarily have a great game, but you're expecting guys to play outside of themselves. Not necessarily, oh, you know, we just missed some shots here. Like, nah. The Knicks kind of pushed y'all around. The Knicks kind of did what they always do. They, they got on the offensive. They had 17 offensive rebounds, I believe, in the game. I mean, of course you can make some more shots, but the Knicks can make some more shots too. The Knicks had R.J. Barrett was 2 at 12, and the best news about R.J. Barrett being 2 at 12 is that he only took 12 shots. A lot of times R.J. Barrett is taking 15, 16, 17 shots and, and not shooting much better percentage than that. So, of course, the Cavs can make more shots. Evan Mobley can play a little better, and Garland, Garland can play a little better, sure. But so can the Knicks. you got to take away the things that the Knicks do well every single night. And you have to be able to combat what they do well every single night. And after a week of preparation, you came into this game and didn't do that. You did. It's not like you put the Knicks in a situation where they had to adjust what they normally do. They did what they always did, and they and they. It was no surprise, and you didn't have an answer. That is, if if you're looking at it from a Cavs perspective, that's a little sobering. Now, of course, if people play better, if Evan Mobley is much better and he's much more of a factor offensively, if Garland is is much more of a factor offensively, then of course he's going to they're going to up the chances of the Cavs winning. But at the end of the day, the Cavs have to be stronger on the boards. They have to be more physical. They have to be a greater. They have to be a larger impact in the paint on both sides of the floor. And if they didn't do that in Game One, I just don't understand why would what what changes in Game Two? Were you just not ready? I mean, that's a possibility. If you just weren't ready for the physicality. That's what a lot of the coaching staff was saying. A lot of players were saying that they weren't. You heard Garland say something about, you know, that you can't just get punched in the face and lay down. Sometimes you got to punch first. So expect the Cavs to be a little bit more physical in game two. Expect the referees to back them up because they're home. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to come out in a hailstorm and be very aggressive, which also leads to more foul calls. They're going to be more physical. Crowd's going to be behind them. So expect them to have a little extra oomph coming into this game. But I've seen the Knicks weather those storms. And the Knicks have another level that they can go to as well. RJ, RJ could play better, but to expect him to play better is kind of pie in the sky right now you defensively RJ wasn't terrible he started to get take advantage of a little bit but his he was for a lot of the game his hustle was better defensive hustle was better but he was still I think a minus 13 in the game or a minus 12 and there's a lot of talk on social media about, you know, well, IQ had a bad game and you don't hear people criticizing IQ the way they criticize because it's called patterns of behavior. All right. If IQ was like this all year long, then IQ would be getting criticized just like RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett has been this person all year long, so he's being criticized for it. In a game where the Knicks won by four, he was a minus 13. And Mitchell Robinson, and you wouldn't expect this, but Mitchell Robinson, who you feel like played well, he had six points, eight rebounds, two steals, no blocks, actually, which is kind of surprising. It was three or five from the field, but he was a minus, he was a minus 15. So there was some, 
people asking the question why did you know why did Chavis put iHeart back in the game? Anyone who's watching Knicks all year long, you know that Tibbs is going to play the player who's playing well. Essentially, that's how he does things. And the game with Mitchell Robinson was minus 15, and it's hard to tell why. Uh, Hardenstein was a plus nine. He was a plus 19. And the stats aren't much different. I mean, he made his free throws. He was two or three from the field. No steals, no blocks. He had eight points and five rebounds. I mean, Mitchell and Hardenstein combined for 13 rebounds in the game. But Mitchell was a minus 15 in the game. Mitchell is an important part of what the Knicks do defensively and offensively. And he was on the boards. He was hustling. But didn't dominate in the game. And was a minus in the game. You got to expect him to not be in the minus <laughs> in the game. You, you got to expect Hart, Hartenstein to have a few more rebounds and he was an impact on the boards. But you expect him to have a few more rebounds than he had. And he was a plus 19. Quentin Grimes did not play well offensively at all. And this is a guy who we've seen really be impactful on an offensive end. He had five points and five rebounds, and he was one of four from the field. Only took threes. There is another level to Quentin Grimes. IQ did not play well at all. You know how much of an impact IQ is. Three points, three rebounds, two assists. And he was up. He was a plus eight in the game compared to R.J. Barrett, obviously. You know, you want him in the game. You can't have, just to get back on RJ, you can't be a minus 13. But in fairness to him, Julius Randle was not much better, even though we know he was an impact, impactful player in the game. He was a minus 8. Mitchell was a minus 15. Quentin Grimes was a plus 10. Jalen, Brown, Jalen Brunson, I'm sorry, was uh, a plus 2. Quickly was a plus 8. Toppin was a plus 12. Even Josh Hart, who had an outstanding game, 17.7 rebounds, was a plus five. The margin of error in this game. It's interesting that he was a plus five. I guess because Hart was in the game, Josh Hart was in the game when the Cavs made their run at the end of the game. The Knicks had like a 10-point lead, and the Cavs made their run and came all the way back. He was in the game at that point, and that's why he's only a plus five. So I think everybody who was in the game at that point, their plus minus – Took a dip. The same thing with R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett was in the game at that point. Uh, Mitchell Robinson was in the game at that point. I think that's what that was about. That's why you do have to dig into the plus-minus numbers a little bit more than even I do, but what most people do. You have to dig into it a little bit because it was one run at the end of the game where a lot of these guys lost some 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 ticks in their plus-minus. That's why it's a little surprising to see Mitchell as a minus 15. He was in the game for a lot of that run. And so was R.J. Barrett. And R.J. Barrett needed to come out. I really did think the Knicks were going to lose that game because R.J. Barrett was on the game. And it's just and it's just because when R.J. Barrett is not playing well, uh, he was making he made a couple good plays. It's just that R.J. Barrett and we ran through these numbers in the last show. And there's a there's a, a lost episode of the Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast <laughs> that was not published due to technical difficulties. But the show that I did before that one, 
I think I ran through how bad RJ was this year. And when you have that kind of player on the floor, things can go left very quickly in the playoffs. And Tibbs was trying to show a little faith in RJ Barrett because he wasn't playing a terrible, terrible game across the board, but he made some tough plays down the stretch, some negative plays down the stretch. And he kept him in there. I think, a minute or so too long, but he finally finally brought Quentin Grimes back in the game, and he didn't come back with quickly. And because, number one, quickly did not play well in the game, and again, Tibbs plays who's playing well. Grimes did not play, play well offensively, but he's a better matchup for Donovan, even though Donovan torched him just like everyone else. But he's a better matchup for Donovan. Donovan likes the IQ matchup. You've seen it throughout the regular season. He likes the IQ matchup. He will switch to the IQ matchup. I don't think IQ is big enough to bother Donovan for whatever reason. Even though IQ is great guarding a lot of other people, a lot of other people, he's not great at guarding Donovan. Needed somebody who can get in Donovan's way a little bit. Grimes showed that he can do that throughout the season. Not so much last night. And I think that might be this might be the end of Quentin Grimes slowing Donovan down. I think we're now we're at a place where. You're expecting Quentin Grimes to just make him miss one or two shots that he might not miss against other people. Because I think he's seen Grimes enough at this point where he knows what he can do and what he can't do. I think he's going to get a few more. I think the uh, the Cavs as a whole are going to get a few more calls in this game than they did last game. And uh, I just, Quentin Grimes is not going to be the stopper that he was on Donovan for a few of the games in the regular season. He's just not. He definitely gave Donovan trouble at game in the garden. Donovan even gave him props right after the game for his defense. I just don't think he's going to be able He did block his shot now. Donovan got his own rebound off a deflection and dunked it. But I just don't – I don't think – I don't think Grimes is going to be – I think you're going to have to let – Donovan is going to have to eat a little bit. I think what's happening is Donovan is not isolating Grimes. He's using screens and he's shooting over the screens. The Knicks bigs, they have to come up a little bit higher on those screens and and make Donovan a passer. But you saw that down the stretch of the game and Donovan threaded the needle and made some dime passes to Jared Allen for some big plays down the stretch of that game. It was there was one play where it was a nice pass and Knicks kind of had the paint zoned off. He probably looked off. Jalen Brunson was covering the corner. Mitchell was covering the paint. And he was covering the baseline in the dunker spot. And Donovan just kind of zipped the pass in there. You know, Mitchell was paying attention. He almost got a finger on it, but Donovan kind of zipped it in there. And Jared Allen got a dunk. There was another play where the Knicks chased Donovan off the jump shot and Donovan got into the lane and and made a nice little pass to Jaron Allen. Those are the kind of plays that you might see in this game, too, because it had some success down the stretch. The Knicks have to do... I mean, I think they did a good, a decent job. They let Donovan get off on those screens by not stepping up enough, right? So he got off on a few jump shots because they weren't there. But there was a few jump shots where, where they were there, and he still hit them. I think you live with that. Be there. Make him shoot over the contest. If you 
get too high and Donovan puts the ball and drives you to the basket, that becomes a bigger issue for the Knicks. It's, it's, he's a tough guard. There's no right answers. But Donovan is very good at finishing. He's very good at his floater game. And he's very good at finding people under the basket, as he showed in game one. Uh, finding the seams, the passing seams to get the ball under the basket while you're trying to help double team him. I don't know. He didn't make the weak side corner pass that much uh, off his penetration. If the weak side corner man drops down, if the weak side corner man is RJ Barrett, you're going to get tor- you're going to get torched because RJ Barrett does not drop down and tag the big man in dunker spot and get back to the corner very well. Uh, but the Knicks do have to. I mean, if Donovan is going to be the the focal point of their offense. He's going to be. There's going to be some ebbs and flows because the Knicks have to mix up the coverages, and they did that in Game One. You saw Julius Randle came out and blitzed any screen he was involved in. He blitzed it, which is a good thing. They got a nice little turnover early in the game when you do that. I talked about that. I talked about how the Knicks have to blitz uh, a lot of Don, especially at the end of the game. A lot of Donovan screen and roll actions. They have to blitz it. But if Donovan is doing it with Mitchell Robinson's man, it's a little bit more difficult for the Knicks to execute a blitz. I think they still have to do it, though. You can't have a situation like they did down the stretch where Donovan was coming downhill and was able to pick the Knicks apart a couple times for dunks. But the Knicks, listen, the Knicks made plays when they had to in this game. They're not going to stop them every single time. I think they have the right idea. They're mixing up the coverages. I think they have the right idea. I think you're going to see a little bit more Garland in this game than you saw in game one. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. Garland's an excellent player. You know, he might be forcing shots a little bit. You know, maybe he wasn't in a rhythm in game one. He gets in a rhythm in game two. Donovan doesn't necessarily have to be in a rhythm to be Donovan. So if you have to adjust your defense to stop Garland, then it's going to be much difficult when the ball finds Donovan and you're not ready for whatever he's about to do. So I think you're going to see a little bit more Darius Garland attacking the screens, attacking off screens, which can give the Knicks a little trouble. But you saw that early in the year. I know the regular season, again, you throw a lot of it out. But they were they were Darius Garland-centric and a lot of the stuff that they did during the season. I think what it comes down to is the Knicks tend to figure out ways to slow you down offensively, even if you have success doing stuff and you're not finding ways to slow them down. This is one of the best defensive teams, depending on what metrics you use. They are the best defensive team in the league. And the Knicks were able, they uh, they didn't score 120 points, but they were able to score consistently enough to maintain a lead throughout the game and obviously score down the stretch. I think R.J. Barrett not giving them good efficient offense the Knicks have been used to that all year but I think and it's it's going to mean that R.J. Barrett is on the floor as much and I think the only reason why R.J. Barrett got the minutes he got in game one is because IQ didn't play well either if IQ plays better then I think you're going to see less R.J. Barrett that's just the way it is I think there's another – I don't think IQ was stopped. They might have scouted IQ on some of his reads, but I don't think IQ was stopped. I just think he had, you know, those playoff jitters where, you know, you're making some bad plays. And IQ is not always on with his jump shots. One of the things I've argued with people on Twitter 
a bunch of times because I hate to criticize IQ, but people act like IQ is just like perfect every time he steps on the floor. And no, no, no player is, but there's a reason why Jalen Brunson is a starter and IQ isn't. IQ can't get away with some of the stuff he does against everybody. As much as often as he plays well, and I don't want to shade him. Don't want to shade him. Is when teams when teams are focused on IQ, IQ is typically not as effective. That happens to a lot of players. Jalen Brunson has to deal with teams that are focused on him and his tendencies every time he steps on the floor. IQ, especially in the regular season, teams are not doing that. Now, in the playoffs, they're going to do it. I don't think that's necessarily what happened to him in game one. Maybe there's a little bit of that. I just think he just made some bad plays. He's a very smart player. He works hard. He's solid at his core, solid foundation as a player. So I think he will play better in game two, which, again, that's troublesome for the Cavs. So I'm just not a confident person when it comes to these series because things can turn in an instant. You haven't talked about Randall, who had a decent first half. He was 7 of 20, I think, for the game. Something close to that, 7 of 20. I thought Randall was, eh. In the second half, it was some costly turnovers down the stretch. You know that's part of what he does. Uh, I don't I, – I think it's just – I don't want to get on him too much. I just feel like Randall takes shots that he could make and doesn't take shots, doesn't make plays that he should make doesn't attempt the shots that he should make. He makes and attempts, or I shouldn't say makes, but attempts shots that he could make. That's a key difference. It's almost like, it's almost like the guys who just throw the ball. Like I can make like, like uh, Michael Beasley. Great, great scoring potential in, in, in the league, but was never a consistent, efficient scorer in the league. Right, is because he took a lot of shots that I can make this shot, and you take it. And it's like, but that's not the best shot for you in this situation. Not the best shot for your team in this situation. How about you take the best shot for you in this situation with that matchup and against this coverage, etc. Julius doesn't always do that. You know, you don't you don't want to take fadeaway jump shots against long athletic defenders. Sure, you can make it, but that's not the best shot. Now, does Jalen Brunson do that sometimes? Sure, but he shoots 50% from the field. So (laughs) you let him cook. Okay, but Julius, Julius, you shoot 46% from the field. Okay, so let's not take the fadeaway jump shots. I mean, he didn't take a bunch of them, but let's not not take contested. Look, go to the basket. I understand you got an ankle uh, injury here. Make them guard you. You're bullying Evan Mobley on the boards. You're bullying. You're pushing these guys around. Get into the paint and make these guys guard you at the front of the rim. Do not bail them out with contested mid-range jump shots. I understand contested threes are part of what you do now. That's fine. We, we live with that now. But you need to drive and make and be a force. Let that seven to twenty. Let let the majority of those shots. Let let twelve of those shots at least. Because he's going to take a bunch of threes. Let 12 of those shots at least be at the front of the rim. And you know down the stretch he's a turnover prone player. That's not going to change here in the playoffs. You wanted to. I don't he doesn't do it on purpose. He does he's not necessarily careless. He's just, you know, he takes too long to he wants to make the perfect read, and that just takes too long. He doesn't back out of the double team. He doesn't back out back out and give himself space. He holds on the ball, so he lets himself get trapped and then makes 
then make some passes, you know, jump in the air and then try to make it like he does a lot of fundamentally incorrect things as opposed to just being careless and not paying attention. One is is easier to correct than the other. Not going to correct the fundamental ways of handling a double team in a weekend. So and and he's had the problem all season long and it hasn't changed. It's not going to change now. You just got to live with that and put him in positions on the floor, especially down the stretch where uh, he's either going to just take the shot on the catch, take the drive on the catch, but don't put him in a situation where he has to ISO and wait for the double team to come. Cause a lot of times they come late in the shot clock because the Knicks take too long to start their offense. So the double team comes late in the shot clock and he's trying to make the perfect pass. Like it's, it's so predictable at this point. I'm sure it's in their scouting report to do it exactly the way I just described it. So the Knicks have to keep him out of those situations. Um, quickly, Grimes. The thing about Grimes is I feel like the ball, we talked about the ball movement when Brunson and Randall were out. There wasn't that kind of ball movement in this game, I feel like. Not in the same way. Uh, Brunson was in foul trouble and quickly didn't play well. But the Knicks still managed to have a good first half regardless. In the second half, Brunson played much better, quickly came in, didn't play much. I mean, he wasn't as bad as he was in the first half, but didn't play. He wasn't as impactful as he typically is. With with quickly playing better, I think you will see a little bit more out of Grimes. Grimes in the starting lineup is only going to eat if they take the ball out of Brunson's hands. Uh, if they doubled. If they have to double team Randall, the ball might find quickly. Quickly has to be aggressive when he does something. If Randall can make the right play, but if they're able to get the ball out of Brunson's hands, then I think quickly might be not quickly, but Grimes might be able to be a little bit more impactful offensively. And the Knicks are going to need that because the Cavs are going to play better. But the Knicks have a lot more. To, they have a lot more places to go than I think the Cavs do. Of course, the Cavs can get some shots made here and there. We talked about this earlier, but I just don't think, like, Jared Allen is a good post player. I think he's going to, he gets the ball in that post, deep post. I think he's going to torch Mitchell and Hartenstein. You didn't see a whole lot of opportunity there for them. But I don't I don't necessarily think that the Cavs are going to make a bunch of adjustments offensively outside of maybe going through Garland more and hoping more guys hit shots, especially a guy like C.D. Osmond. That. And see, I think you're going to see, you're going to see him guarding Brunson more, even though people are clowning it on social media. He got Osmond on Brunson. It's a bad matchup. The more a guy sees a guy, the better he could be defensively. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out that way. And Brunson has been torching cats all year long, but he has the ability to stay in front of him and, and keep position and just contest what he does. Now, remember, as good as Brunson was down the stretch, that big, huge offensive rebound with about 14 seconds to go, not 14 seconds, about four seconds to go. By when Grimes got fouled, there was four seconds to go, right? So this was a huge possession down the stretch of the game. Brunson had he had scored on him a few times. He had Osmond on him. He takes a jump shot, contested jump shot, 
And Randall comes crashing the boards and gets a huge rebound. Jared Allen, and there's some debate about this play too. Jared Allen was trying to find Hartenstein to box him out. He vacates the very spot the ball was about to land in. And Julius Randle comes crashing in in between Garland and Mobley and gets a huge offensive rebound and is smart enough to get the ball out of his hands to Grimes. And Grimes is then fouled and made two huge free throws down the stretch. And this is a game where he didn't he only made one shot. All right? Huge play. All right? Let's not under let's not underscore how big that was, big of a rebound that was for our Julius Randle. But that was a play that you expect Brunson to get a make there against that matchup. But Osmond was able to make him miss that shot. And I think it is similar with Donovan. You're not going to stop them on every play, but you're hoping to reduce their efficiency some. And it's possible that Osmond might be able to do that with Brunson just by playing good position defense having some average athletic ability, and having some height. Now, I think just like Osmond might get used to Brunson's game, Brunson's going to get used to Osmond's defense. You've seen a guy like Mikhail Bridges get torched by Brunson, one of the best defensive players in the league. So if you're going to roll the dice, I'm going to roll the dice with Brunson. But I think I think there is a chance that Osmond can slow him down just enough to justify him being on the floor and that makes the Cavs a much better offensive team because he's a much better shooter. So I think the onus is going to be on Brunson to torch that matchup so that Osman cannot stay on the floor. He cannot he cannot let Osman win enough of those matchups to to stay on the floor because it makes the Cavs a much more dangerous offensive team. Now the debate on the box out is a whole debate now on Twitter about boxing out in general. Jared Allen instead of pursuing the ball, look to find Hartenstein's body. And Hartenstein was basically under the basket, and that ball landed exactly where Jared Allen was. If Jared Allen had just exploded to the rim on that rebound, he probably gets it. That's the debate you're seeing from some basketball minds on Twitter. You can also say that Hartenstein might might have been able to crash and, and tip that ball around because he didn't have a body on him. But there there is a nice debate on Twitter about the value of just pursuing the basketball, exploding towards the basketball off a rebound versus trying to turn your head and find a body to box out and then try to find the ball. This is an interesting debate. You know, old school fundamental basketball versus what might actually work better. New school thinking, being innovative and reevaluating old mindsets. But looking at that play and if you watch it, it seems like if Evan Mobley boxed out Julius Randle, then he would have gotten a rebound. You know, so it's kind of one of those things. Yes, Allen had to go under the basket to box out Hartenstein. If he stayed where he was, the ball might have landed in his hands. I mean, some of that is happenstance. It's not always going to work out that way. But if Mobley had actually boxed out Julius Randle, then Mobley would have got the rebound. But this is an interesting conversation. But rebounding, if you look, Jared Allen had an outstanding rebounding game. 14 rebounds, I think. 
and Mobley, I think Mobley had 11 rebounds, something something close to that. So I think I think they did a a decent job. Yeah, he had 11 rebounds. I think they did a decent job, but you look at a guy like Josh Hart, he had 10 rebounds. The guards have to rebound. The forwards, the small forwards, the wings, they have to rebound. They have to box it. They have to box out. All right, it's they can't just sit and wait for the ball. It, you can't do you can't you, if you're not going to box out. You definitely can't do the wait for the ball thing. But when somebody is when somebody is running full speed towards the basket to crash the boards, you got to get a body in front of them. So it, it's a mixture of both. You know they did a decent job on Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein, even though they got some offensive rebounds. It was really hard. <laughs> And Julius Randle that they had the most trouble with. And that comes, that's coming from the wings. That's coming from Mobley. Mobley doesn't have the strength to deal with Julius Randle. You've seen Julius Randle, put, Randle pushing him around the court. He just doesn't. So as long as Julius Randle is attacking those boards, he's going to have an advantage. Just to wrap this up, I don't have any expectations for R.J. Barrett to be much better offensively. It ha- if it happens, it happens. But you can't count on it at this point. What I have noticed is something that you didn't see even down the stretch of the regular season when RJ was going through an extended slump from the three-point line is you still saw players close out on him, which is still functional offense when you have a poor shooter. If people are still closing out on you, you can you still have options. You can, you can put the ball on the floor and attack the closeout and find a better shot. And obviously you can still... Shoot it. If somebody, you know, the closeout is late, you should still take that shot. You can't punish your you can't punish your team by passing up open shots, open opportunities, right? Even with somebody closing out, especially on a corner three, you still should take that shot. But the fact that they're closing out means that you still have a functional offensive space to work in. Right? Because they might help, they might close out, try to suck in on, on the paint. The ball handler kicks the ball out. As if as long as they're still paying attention to you as a shooter, you still can have functional offense even if you're not making the shot. Obviously, you're going to get pulled if you keep missing it. All right, but he can always put the ball on the floor and attack the closeout and maybe get something there. He's been pretty good at the front of the rim. The Cavaliers, I saw in a few possessions, they started ignoring him, shooting the ball. On a shot that R.J. Barrett hit, it was a three-pointer that he hit in that game, the fourth quarter, I believe, where Evan Mobley would have been the rotator. He turned and so was R.J. shooting, and he didn't close out. And that's what's going to happen now. That just makes me even more confident that R.J. Barrett is going to play less minutes, regardless of the other thing, good things he might be doing on the floor, because the other good things he's doing on the floor can be done by other people. So as much as Tibbs, I'm sure, loves R.J. Barrett and doesn't want to embarrass him and wants to give him a chance to to uh you know earn his minutes and be a part of the be a part of the game, be a part of the team, and even if you're not shooting well, all of that talk you hear in the postgame, you can do other things, et cetera, et cetera. He is not good enough at those other aspects of the game, he is not better, I should say, than other players in the rotation at those other aspects of the game 
to be on the floor just for those other aspects of the game. If you're going to be on the floor and they're not going to rotate to you anymore because you're missing your threes, you're going to have to come out. As simple as that. Simple as that. So, like I said, I don't have a whole lot of faith that RJ is going to play better. But I do have faith that Grimes is going to play better. I have faith that IQ is going to play better. I have a little bit of faith that Julius is going to be a little bit better. He was good in the first half and bad in the second. You have to assume that's a little bit of conditioning, rhythm, etc. Hopefully, he starts going to the basket a little bit more. We'll see. And Jalen Brunson, he played well, but he was in foul trouble the whole first half of the game and still finished with 24 points, 27 points, right? So this is a grand opportunity for the Knicks to take control of a series that they have every chance, every opportunity to win. The Cavs have trouble with the Knicks. The Knicks can beat them. The Knicks can... They can stay in every game on the road against the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell can have 38 points, and Knicks can still win this game. The Knicks can win this series, and they if they can win the series, they should win this game. It's going to be a hard game to win, but win this game. Give yourself an opportunity to put this series to bed because the Cavaliers can win in the Garden. Everybody can win in the Garden. And now you see this injury to Giannis. And I don't want to look too far ahead. You see this injury to Giannis, and I, you don't wish injuries on anybody. I like Giannis as an outstanding player. The Knicks can win this series and face a Milwaukee Buck team that doesn't have Giannis potentially. Listen to me. Just take care of business. Right, let's just take care of business. Game two, take care of business. We talked about some of the keys. Who is going to adjust better? I mean, give the give the advantage to Brunson, but who's going to adjust better between Brunson and Osman? Can can Brunson cook Osman enough to get Osman off the floor? Is Okoro's defense going to improve? Is he going to be able to adjust on Brunson? He played some good defense on Brunson, and Brunson made some tough shots. Can Brunson continue to dominate? Are they going to start trapping Brunson, getting the ball out of his hands? Uh, and, and making other people make plays. Uh, Grimes Is Grimes going to step up in those situations? Is Randall going to step up? RJ, et cetera. Are they going to continue to not guard RJ in the perimeter and let him shoot the Knicks out of the game? The physicality that you know the Cavs are going to play with in game two, are the Knicks going to be able to respond? Are they going to be able to overcome the referees that are likely going to be giving every advantage to the Cavs in this game? being aggressive, being physical, and being on the road, are they going to be able to overcome it, or are they going to succumb to it? This is a series. Right off the bat, the Knicks established themselves off a week of preparation from the Cavaliers, doing nothing different, being themselves, and the Cavs had trouble with them. Outstanding, outstanding, outstanding. A-pluses down the line, except for R.J. Barrett. That's not fair. R.J. Barrett is not the only one that didn't play well. But R.J., you just got to be better. You just got to be better. You want to be a part of this, you got to be better. I'm telling you, R.J. Barrett is not going to play. I said this before. I said this before the series on Twitter. R.J. Barrett is looking at a 20, 22-minute game 
in the playoffs. I'm telling you now, if Grimes is playing well, IQ is playing well, RJ Barrett might be at 22 minutes in in these games. Anyway, check out sportsethos.com. Check out at sportsethos on Twitter at ethos Knicks. Until next time.